Namaste. One of the biggest challenges uh, in this life is how to make choices. The Gita is the gospel of Karma Yoga ever given to man, the, the best gospel of Karma Yoga. But still, choices are not always easy um, if you are not too selfish. For a selfish man, there are no choices except looking after one's own interest. But it's only when you begin to wonder, think, discern what is really right, what is wrong, what is good, not only for oneself. We all, as we develop, we want that whatever our action is should, um, you know, even if it, we know it is good for us, we don't want its repercussions to be, you know, bad on others. In the sense, it should not create pain, bring pain and suffering on others. So as humanity evolves, it begins to become sensitive through a kind of sympathy about everyone around. And this sympathy, its seat is in the soul, actually. Shubhendu speaks about the little sympathy we have for others comes from the soul. So, because uh, <clears throat> it's a sign of the development of the soul. So, that's when the problem of action arises. The, the problem of action is not there at the two poles. Selfish man is no problem of action. He acts according to what he wants and that's the end of the story. Uh, wants in the sense of his uh, immediate interest. And the God or the godlike living in intuition has no problem because one sees what is to be done and does it. But the problem is for the many Arjunas who are caught in between. Arjuna is a typical Rajasattvic person. So he knows what is his dharma, but still he doesn't know whether I should do it or not because it is it will have repercussions. So in this prayer of the mother, March 23rd, 1914, we see yet another angle through which the mother reveals to us how to, <laughs> how to act, how to make choices. There are several prayers, a series of prayers which, where she takes up uh, this problem. Uh, this one takes it from many sides and ultimately gives us the solution as to how we should do and what, you know, as per our human state. So it starts with, as I see it, the ideal state is that in which constantly conscious with thy consciousness, one knows at every moment, spontaneously, without any reflection being necessary, exactly what should be done to best express thy law. So that is the best state, highest, where Arjuna has realized the Krishna within him and he is completely governed by that. Then there is no question of any thought, reflection, because you know it is the divine will and you act according to that. And then the divine takes all the consequences, repercussions, because your goal is only to fulfill that will. <clears throat> that state I know, she knows that state, for I have experienced it at certain moments. But very often the knowledge of the how is veiled by a mist of ignorance and one must call in reflection, which is not always a good counsellor. So you may know that this is to be done. But how is it to be done? Let's take an example. Sri Ramakrishna says in a bit, uh, with a touch of irony and divine irony, he says, God laughs when a physician tells somebody that uh, he'll be alright, but God has decided to take away this person. <laughs> At the same time, 
another he says when a person says oh they'll be happily married ever after and god has already foreseen that this is not going to work out now obviously if one is identified with the god consciousness one knows one knows for example that a a uh, person a patient is going to leave the body and it's best to leave the body but what should you do as a doctor how to facilitate that process should you just say well this is god's will i am not going to do anything or should you give some medication or should you create an environment conducive to leaving so all this is where reflection comes in even when you know that this is the will we, we don't know how exactly to do it Arjuna knows it is the will of Krishna to destroy all the arrogant kshatriyas he knows it because she krishna has shown him and yet there are moments bhishma will go he knows it how to actually end up uh, you know to see bhishma fall he knows that drona and karna must go but how to do it that's where the second level of dilemma comes in so she says that we normally call in reflection but it's a, not a good counselor why because it lives in a mist of ignorance let alone all that one does at every instant without having any time for reflection on this spur of the moment we don't even have many times uh, on occasion you know there are several occasions when somebody says something to us and we respond hardly there is a time for reflection we have to act this is a decision to be taken and we have to act so there are number of uh, such instances <clears throat> how far does it conform with or oppose thy law take for instance that a person is sick elderly should you take to a hospital where possibly he may be put on ventilator possibly he may survive which may not be a very good life or possibly he may recover completely or possibly he may die there are so many things but there is no time you have to decide fast so what do you do you you act you don't have time to really reflect and go by that uh, inner will so how far does it conform with or oppose thy law that depends upon the state of the subconscious on what is active in it at that time so what really whatever we are doing uh, whether it's in conformity with the divine will or opposed to it depends upon what is active in us for instance there is extreme attachment now this is a state of the subconscious one is extremely attached so the decision one will take will be in all likelihood opposed to the divine will because it is attachment which is deciding on the other hand at a given point of time one may be in the state that well whatever is best for the person let that happen so the decision will be very different so uh, it depends on the state of the subconscious whether we are in conformity with the divine will or not <clears throat> once the deed is done if it has any importance if one can look at it analyze it understand it it serves as a lesson generally speaking once a thing is done it's not good to go back to it some people go back to it and feel unhappy you know they they lament etc sometimes they praise themselves so it's not good to go back it's a kind of egoistic activity but sometimes we need to learn a lesson so she is saying that after the deed is done one looks back and learns and grows understand it it serves as a lesson enables one to become aware of one's motive of action 
and hence of something in the subconscious which still governs the being and has to be mastered. This is so common that one has done something or, you know, entered into something. And then one sees that, you see, the spontaneous um, thing is that the mind gives a very suitable justification. And we enter into something. And it keeps on giving that justification and the divine keeps on bringing the experience again and again till we have learned. There is a very nice little story once um, our Chamanlalji told me during a trip to South Africa. He told something because I used to have this dilemma, should I go out and talk or I shouldn't talk and this used to go on and despite several experiences that yes, you should, this work given to you, still because your mind can fool you, it can trick you, it can give you a uh, explanation which is very, uh, you know, suiting your own wishes and desires. So he told me that day, very interesting story that he was invited to the, um, I think, solar world solar conference to the US, probably someplace outside. And he asked the mother, Mother, should I go or should I not go? So mother asked, What do you want? <laughs> so, see, mother's way of making us conscious. What do you want? He said, Mother, <clears throat> I don't want to go. But if you want me to go, I'll go. Mother said, Are you sure? So his reply was very interesting. He said, Mother, as far as I can be conscious, I'm sure. But I don't know. There may be things hidden in my subconscious, which I don't know. Then the mother said, No, you should go. Because if you don't go, somebody else will represent. So I want you to go. Now, in this whole process, she makes us conscious. There are several instances like that. One is where somebody asked about illness. Sadashiv, he was in a marveling group. So he had an illness and he was advised operation, surgery, tuberculosis of the spine. That you have to drain the abscess and then whatever medicines were available that time. So he asked the mother. Mother said, do as you please. So I don't know what, I, what, what shall I do. So he took second opinion because do as you please. So he thought, let me take another opinion. So the second opinion after two months, some surgeon came from uh, England and you know, England people, they are highly knowledgeable people. Huh? So they, he said, no, no, definitely you should get it operated. <laughs> so, no, no, don't take it seriously. <laughs> but he said, now we used to have that foreign returned. Nowadays, it's the other way because the experience of the Indian doctor is a lot more. Simply because for every one case which is seen outside, we are seeing 100. At least 10 or 20. <laughs> so... <laughs> I was very surprised when I had gone outside and I was told how many patients people see in a day. Well, we have an appointment for about 8 or 10. That's like, <laughs> for us 8, 10 is like on the road. <laughs> While going through, somebody will catch us. Somebody will say, kya karna iska? So even, you know, you can't see a person for an illness of which you are not a specialist. So my psychiatrist friend had come here and, uh, you know, he's from UK and we... Uh, use a scooter and he came and there the watchman he told me uh, Bhaiya I am having a pain in the throat I said okay so I took a chit and wrote it he said can you do like this I said yes <laughs> he said oh my god we can be <laughs> prosecuted for this action because you have to you can't do like this on the road you see somebody and <laughs> we are doing it on the house so 
there are different places people do different things but uh, he also advised him that you have to go in for a surgery it's already late if you delay much there'll be a problem again he wrote to the mother mother said do as you please he said mother i don't want to do as i please you tell me what i should do <laughs> then the mother writes remember oh, it is only the grace that can cure you then he said okay i will not take anything so after that for 40 years he lived normally eventually and died a normal death so now she knows what is inside brings it out Uh, same thing we see in the Gita that you know Shri Krishna brings out. He doesn't say okay, take the arrow and shoot. He logically starts bringing out one layer after another after another, till finally, Parth is ready and he says okay now you do as you wish. And the end again he says that, but by then he is ready. So uh, this is how we grow by becoming aware of the subconscious. So it's good to reflect back and see what really was driving us. And very often the motives are mixed. there is a um, truth there is a vital desire there is something else all these fellows come together and the result is a hodgepodge so in the next passage he reminds us every action on earth is bound to have a good and a bad side <laughs> don't try to you know that it will always be good for everybody good as we understand because it's not possible she says you are trying some something impossible like people say i um, i want others to be happy i said this is an impossible task even to stay happy yourself is not easy <laughs> let alone making others happy so she says every action is bound to have it even the actions which best express the most divine law of love carry in them something of the disorder and darkness inherent in the world as it is today so even the best action which expresses not any other but the highest law of divine love even when that is done and you see there are so many because we don't understand the workings of the way the world is so there is the letter of you know beautiful letters of sahanadi one which i remember just now is that uh, she went through lot of you know bleeding issues women have and she is praying to mother to help help her and then shurbindo replies that tell sahana he asked somebody else to communicate to her tell sahana whatever is needed is being done for her this little discomfort she has to go through because it's a expelling of or you know what is called as exhaustion of the last remnants of sexual desire now you see the divine law and yet one has to go through a little bit passage of pain because that's necessary for the growth and progress and for uh, exhausting things from within nature so on earth in the present state like mother said once there is you cannot guarantee absolute protection in our present state of life upon earth even during and shobindo when you know when before 1950 so there was somebody who's uh, just near the vicinity of the ashram there was a chain snatching incident so people asked shobindo how can it happen so he made it very clear that in the present state of the world which is governed by disorder it is not an absolute uh, divine reign has been established upon earth and in matter so you cannot guarantee any such things and in the ashram context i remember somebody telling me that there were only three persons to whom the mother said that they have an absolute protection given by her 
to that extent she said that if you don't ever say anything unpleasant or hurtful to this lady there was a lady out of them because it comes straight to me and gives me a blow and that lady had nothing super special about her outwardly but there is some relation with the divine which we don't understand like shri krishna would take everything of arjuna on himself but he didn't guarantee that abhimanyu and their children and ghatotkach and everybody they will uh, his absolute protection will be there no it was only to krishna uh, to arjuna so in the present state of this world there will be certain things even when the best law most divine law of love carry in them something of the disorder and darkness inherent in the world as it is today you cannot eliminate it so she says because of this people take two attitudes some people those who are called pessimists perceive almost exclusively the dark side of everything so there is that whatsapp university on which it was see why the mahabharata was done so that krishna wanted humanity to see the terrible effects of war my god to destroy so much and say see this what war does to start with it is his war <laughs> so this is the like pessimist trying to see something good and justifying but that was not the purpose of the war the shubindu says very beautifully it is through the mahabharata and the bloodshed there that shri krishna saved india otherwise india would have been we can't imagine where because he established a kingdom of dharma which for next 2500 years or more continued to be guarded by great kings because of the energy that had gone into it it's much later that you know the attacks took place so she says that there are these pessimists who perceive almost exclusively the dark side of everything the optimists on the other hand see only the side of beauty and harmony so what is the attitude one should take she says and if it is foolish and ignorant to be an unwitting optimist by that she means that everything will be a miracle everything will be wonderful then people suddenly find it a shock like somebody wrote that you know how come somebody died of corona in the ashram this what is called as expecting an impossible miracle that nothing will happen to anybody ever after once you have enrolled your name in the book of the elite it doesn't work like that so this is what is called as being a because there are conditions now to some people divine may completely override those conditions to some others for a certain purpose he may allow them to go through certain things it doesn't work like mathematics so she says and if it is foolish and ignorant to be an unwitting optimist is it not making a happy conquest to become a willing optimist well things may happen but yet you must be always full of hope so she distinguishes between foolish and unwitting optimist it is like some people start believing in almost superstitiously in in uh, all kinds of miracles so people even stick mothers you know sometimes symbol here there everywhere that you know now my scooter is safe even if i close my eyes and i'm drunk in state it is safe why because symbol is there so this is called being foolish and unwitting optimist and yet we do not know that if something happens he may be saved actually saved situation could be much worse and this may bring him out in a much faster way so she says that you should be a willing optimist willing optimist is somebody who does his best he is not foolish and unwitting optimist he is willing 
he wants to do his bit at the same time he believes that ultimately good will come out of whatever may happen and its classic example is shobindu's letter to mrilalni devi when her brother dies actually i think one more had died or two more had died before and then the third one also dies with the second one and she is obviously in pain and she writes to shobindu and he consoles her and in that she says uh, something very beautiful he says you know after all in this world very often god brings good out of evil what a you know willing optimist that yes it is something which is painful it should not happen untimely death but he says you know god often brings good out of evil so look at that good which will emerge through all this in the eyes of pessimist whatever one does will always be bad ignorant or egoistic how could one satisfy them it is an impossible task so this is how sometime people come to the ashram they meet some of us and they are very dissatisfied unhappy because they are expecting i don't know what some baba ji's will say okay tomorrow morning you come we'll have a mantram homam in the morning and they see people regular people or you know sometimes even sometime people who can uh, suddenly even like durvasa <laughs> you know get so they don't understand so they go back and they see this side so because uh, being in touch sometime they write to me so i said you went to ashram to see people or you went to ashram to see mother and shirbindo i said look at the same phenomena and look at the love of mother and shirbindo that has embraced all kinds of people oh we didn't look at it like that i said see what a tremendous love that she has embraced all kinds of humanity and brought them together close to her heart because she alone can change it after all where do you expect the worst illness cases where there is the best topmost doctors if you go to a topmost hospital and everything is announced but you know cases don't go there they go somewhere else so you will say it looks like only a namesake place so it is a way of looking at it she is asking us to become willing optimists rather than pessimists who will always see the dark side of things so she says you can't convince a pessimist because he is bound to see in everything like people when they read the gita they say oh sure kishi krishna is speaking egoistically aham to sarva pape bhyo so you have to explain to them aham is a only a figure of speech it means i it doesn't mean egoism even divine has to say i what does he say my soul or my parmatma or paramatma it look very hard so he has to use the word i it is the meaning you put in the word i so the shri krishna who is standing on the battlefield and saying aham tva sarva papebhyo mukshishami masucha is in a super conscious state he is identified with the purushottama and he is speaking that but a pessimist he will always see in it something ignorant or egoistic so she says you cannot just satisfy them it is an impossible task meaning thereby don't try to convince the pessimist but for yourself become a willing optimist this the take home point then there is another passage where she says there is only one recourse so what we should do mother there is only one recourse to unite as perfectly as possible with the highest and purest light that one can conceive this highest and purest life changes as we grow to to begin with it may be the spirit of sacrifice 
then it could be expression of the divine will or that perfect consciousness, whatever it be. Or non-injury, it could be anything, the highest light that one can conceive. She says, find that and act according to that. To identify one's consciousness as completely as possible with the absolute consciousness. That is the perfect. That's where she starts from. So at least even if we don't, are not able to identify, we strain ourselves. I want to know your will. Very often people say, but I don't get to know. It doesn't matter. You have put in you know, every effort that we have made. We have actually strained ourselves a little and the consciousness begins to become loose on different um, you know, heart fixed locations. And one day the divine will begins to express itself. So we still should strive and we still should try because this exercise itself uh, makes it possible one day to come in contact and eventually to unite with the absolute consciousness. To strive to receive all inspirations from that consciousness alone. We should strive. It may or may not happen. Or it may happen in degrees and steps and stages. So strive, we should strive always to offer a thing to mother and try it. It will slowly, slowly, step by step, one day we will, all that we do will be a result of that inspiration from that consciousness alone. So as to foster as best one can its manifestation upon earth. So you see, it's always a gradation. Very often, people take this approach of none or all. So they say, I can't meditate. Or they say, when meditation becomes deep, yes, I can meditate. But there are many steps. There are people who sit for months and they cannot meditate. Then they sit for another few months and they start feeling that yes, abhi dhyan thoda lag jata hai. Mind is a little less restless. Then they sit for a few more months and they say, oh, I feel a nice peaceful feeling in, as if I am going inside. Then they sit for some more time. They have some experience. The peace tends to stay for longer. Then they say, okay, now that peace can remain much longer. So this is how there is a gradation. So one strives and slowly one arrives. And what should be our aspiration when we are to, you know, turning to the divine to arrive, to receive all inspiration, so as to foster as best one can its manifestation upon earth. It may be good for us outwardly, apparently. It may not be good for us, apparently. It may be good for another person, apparently. It may not be good for another person, apparently. But what is important is the divine manifestation. That's what we should aspire for. And trusting in its power to regard all events with serenity. What a perfect program she has given. So, it may not immediately appear. So, she has told us to be willing optimists. It may not appear as we had expected or as we wanted. So, it means that there were expectations within our nature. So, we have to work upon them. There were certain desires, wants and yet we aspire to receive inspiration so that the divine manifestation takes place beautifully and for that we have to trust in the power. And then all events are regarded with serenity. Why serenity? Because we know whatever it may look at right now, its inevitable result will be good. That's what trust means. It may not look the best right now. And yet, best will come out of it. Because at every step, one is invoking the divine. Then comes the fifth passage. Since everything is necessarily mixed in the present manifestation. 
she says that everything is mixed because um, in the human consciousness simultaneously a divine impulsion may be mixed with desire it's a very strange thing and it's so true and the mother gives this example that there is a divine will that this should happen but desire tends to slightly distort it though desire is also wanting the same thing but it has brought in its element of distortion so maybe the divine will may have expressed itself in a very beautiful harmonious way but this element of desire haste impatience tends to bring that little distortion so she says that since everything is necessarily mixed in the present manifestation the wisest thing is to do one's best and one's best is for each one to see certainly desire is not the best for sure egoism selfishness are not the best the best for most human being is either a rational standpoint as to what is really good what is the highest whatever one can conceive at that given point of time it may not be the ultimate truth but it's one's own best or an ideal one has taken up the wisest thing is to do one's best striving towards an ever higher light so many actions are not one day it is over it continues so keep on striving towards a higher and higher light and to resign oneself to the fact that absolute perfection is for the moment unrealizable so if you try to otherwise you will end up being in a state of constant misery so what we uh, is given to us is to constantly strive towards a greater and greater light see how beautifully she is explaining to us the way of yoga and action it's not like people often okay i don't know whether this action is in union with the divine will or not of course it's not easy so what do does one do one does one's best but knows that it is a relative best and that best is offered at the divine feet not for my success or somebody else's but so that your will is done your manifestation takes place which i don't know what it is but i must do my best and to give it to the divine and then to strive that one day one should be completely moved by the divine will which is a process so she is explaining to us all these things and not to take any result as this oh this was the perfect expression of the truth it may not be it will be mixed because absolute perfection is for the moment unrealizable and yet toward the end she says and yet how ardently must we always aspire for that inaccessible perfection what a beautiful program she has given step by step knowing that yes it is not the very best that should have somebody asked the mother that is it always the best that happens in the world she said if it were so then there would be no need for yoga no need to bring down a higher truth she says what is true is that whatever has happened had to happen that that's true but she says the best happens only to those who are in that state of the best attitude right attitude it's not that automatically everything that happens happens for the best but it is true that out of the worst the divine brings out the best that's a different thing altogether so she says whatever happens is best only from a certain relative standpoint it could have been better so with that attitude to always strive to uh, correct one's attitude not to be a pessimist who is only seeing the dark side to become a willing optimist 
to act in one's highest light that is available and know that and not to feign that oh i am being guided by the divine will a lot of people get into that state oh i am being guided by the divine will and in the process uh, they create more confusion in the world so knowing that there are natural limitations of a human being to strive to act according to one's best offer that action to the divine mother so that her manifestation takes place in the end and still to keep striving so that one day one can receive the right inspiration at the right moment and express it in the most beautiful divine way so this is the path of karma yoga mr mother reveals to us and i find these prayers more complete frankly speaking than the all the you know yogic texts because it's so practical she is not even asked us uh, practice this next this next this she's saying act in your own highest and best that's available to man what is the highest ideal one has it could be an ideal doesn't matter so it's a beautiful prayer guiding us to divine action